Welcome to the America's 360 podcast. Get the inside scoop and the outside perspective on the latest developments from Canada, Latin America, and everywhere in between. America's 360 is a production of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. Hello, I'm John Molesky, and this is America's 360 podcast brought to you by the world's number one think tank for regional studies, the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. America's 360 is a collaboration among the Wilson Center's Argentina Project, Brazil Institute, Canada Institute, Latin American Program, and Mexico Institute. Well, in August, Brazil hosted leaders from around the region for the Amazon Dialogue Summit in Belém. They discussed taking a cooperative approach to a range of issues, including forest protection, climate change, indigenous rights, and cross-border crime. One outcome was the so-called Bellum Declaration, which, among other things, said that the Amazon is approaching a tipping point. We thought this would be a good time to focus on Brazil and its role in the region and its larger global role as a principal steward of the Amazon, with 60% of that rainforest residing within its borders. So we're going to begin our discussion with Bruna Santos, the Brazil Institute's director, and then we'll get to the rest of our panel in just a moment. Uh, Bruna, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. So let's start with that, that summit. And if you could fill us in on what were the key takeaways? Well, I think one of the key takeaways was um, the fact that the summit was underwhelming for many of us, uh, including me. I think that the summit demonstrated uh, the existence of important div divergence within the region, and that may get in the way of a more robust uh, cooperation, especially when it comes to defending the Amazon. I think that Brazil is a leading figure in environmental matters. There's no question about it, but it has... Um, yet to involve its neighbors in its more in its more ambitious goal. So I think the me the meeting did not meet the expectations of many of the activists, many of the indigenous groups in Brazil. I think it uh, also hindered um, Lula's goal to have um, all neighboring countries commit to ending illegal deforestation by 2030. And so the declaration in the end uh, lacked uh, concrete targets, including the one to zero deforestation by 2030. I think it was very disappointed, um, you know, in a sense that we saw we gave the world the message that perhaps the Amazonian leaders are not necessarily ready to lead the, the world uh, climate uh, politics as we expected them to. So but. Of course, I think the most one of the most uh, sensitive aspects of that came out of the summit was obviously oil exploration in the Amazon, and uh, this was also a matter left out of the final document due exactly to the lack of consensus. And this is one issue that divides Brazilian government uh, itself. We have Marina Silva, the Minister of the Environment, on one side against the proposal of the Minister of Mines and, Mines and Energy, Alexandre de Silveira. And then we have declarations from Lula. They're not necessarily uh, following the same um, guidelines that Marina is being, uh, has been like saying and declaring over and over. What, um, what we see, we've been uh, seeing is that uh, some uh, measures that came out of the summit that was uh, were interesting and 
can be, if implemented, can be successful. One is um, the fact that they created a special unit in the Federal Police of Brazil to fight uh, drug trafficking and uh, illegal activities like mining and illegal ranching and so forth, which along with IBAMA, which is the legal, the law, the environmental law enforcement agency, may help a lot to decrease the um, illegal activities in the region. Also, I would also mention um, that the reactivating the Amazon Corporation Treaty Organization, which is a legal instrument that um, was established in late 70s and had only convened three times. The last time was in 2009 and finally convened again in Berlin is a, an interesting um, movement as well. But other than that, I think the, the, the summit as a whole was underwhelming. Well, uh, was it underwhelming because not, not enough preparation was done in advance? Often when you see major agreements that come out of summits like this, the groundwork is laid in advance. And the summit itself can become almost just a, a coronation of sorts or a, a rubber stamp. Uh, were there expectations coming in that were unrealistic based on the groundwork that had been done before the summit? Yeah, I, I totally agree that the expectations were unrealistic, but I don't know if uh, what, it, what would be enough groundwork for that. I think uh, the, the summit brought to the surface um, problems that are coming, one, I think Lula uh, expected the same alignment across the leftist con- countries in the region that he had in his first and second terms. It's a different uh, region, especially uh, when you look at uh, Colombia and Chile, for example. When you when you look at Colombia in the um, statements that uh, Petro did, I think he touched in one point that is extremely important, which is the the contradiction that many of uh, progressive politicians in the region have when it comes to ending oil exploitation. So I think that it comes. I think that the divergences are more structural than than necessarily things that could be addressed by some um, negotiations in advance. Changing political landscape that you describe in in the region, what what does that say about Brazil's larger role, both as a regional leader and as a global leader in this effort of ending deforestation? Uh, has, Has it changed in such a way that Brazil now is not in as much of a leadership position as it was previously? Well, it is a leader, a natural leader, especially due to the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, uh, a big portion of the Amazon uh, region of the Amazon is in, in Brazil's territory, I think. But politically, it has failed to engage the lead, the regional leaders in commitments that are defining goals and deadlines to achieve and end deforestation. So, yeah, this, we we need to see more in that front to to call Lula's leadership in this new term uh, a real one that could deliver real um, results. Is that a function largely of the transition for, uh, for, to the new leadership in Brazil? Because, I mean, it's been, what, about eight months now that Lula's been in office? Yeah, eight months. Yes, but I also think it's a result of, as I mentioned, the region, but also um, contradictions that are happening within his government. Um, I rem- I'm, I don't know if you remember, but um, in his second term, divergences exactly about oil exploitation and uh, the the environmental issues were what caused Marina leaving his government. 
So this is not uh, a new thing for anyone who follows Lula's politics. So we we've it, we've we could foresee it it happening. Those um, ambiguous decla- uh, declarations about oil exploitation in the region and um, the role of Petrobras and how Obama and the Ministry of Environment is like not necessarily agreeing in that front. Great. Thank you. You know, uh, now we're going to bring in the rest of our all-star lineup. Joining us is Latin American Program Director Benjamin Gadan, Mexico Institute Director Andrew Rudman, and Canada Institute Director Christopher Sands. And what I thought we'd do, gentlemen, is give each of you an opportunity to uh, uh, comment or react to what you've heard from Bruna so far, or maybe pose some questions for future discussion and Benjamin, let's begin with you. Yeah, I think it's tempting to think a lot about Brazil's role as a regional or even global leader. And certainly Lula sees himself in that context. But I think what's important to keep in mind is how consequential Brazil can be on its own with its domestic policy. As Bruna alluded to, Brazil controls so much of the Amazon and the future of the Amazon is so linked to the future of climate on planet Earth that what Brazil does at home is very meaningful and worthy of great attention. Thanks, Benjamin. Andrew. You know, I guess I was sort of thinking uh, as you were talking, but obviously Brazil uh, uh, or Mexico is is quite far from the Amazon. And and I think interestingly, I I guess, is that uh, in some ways, President Lopez Obrador would have fallen on on the same line or the same side of the line as as President Petro, because Mexico is is also extremely dependent on oil production. Um, In addition, Two of, of AMLO's signature infrastructure projects, the Tren Maya and, and his, uh, one of his infrastructure projects, Tren Maya, and his um, uh, Sembrando Vida, his tree planting um, uh, project, both of those have been criticized a lot by environmentalists who feel that, in, in fact, those projects are damaging the environment. So it's kind of, a, I think, an interesting juxtaposition. Um, Lopez Obrador is going to Chile and Colombia, uh, but not Brazil, although President Lula plans to visit Mexico this month. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they talk about and how the the always a, a little bit um, competitive, let's say, relationship between Mexico and Brazil plays out. Thank you, Andrew. Chris? Thanks, John. And and thank you, Bruna, because I always learn something when I'm listening to you uh, always. And this was really interesting to me. I guess what I'm wondering, if if I'm allowed to ask you a question, Bruna, is really about expectations that Brazil has for foreign partners. I I went back through some of the interactions. The last time Lula da Silva was president, he faced uh, a little bit of Jean Chrétien and uh, Paul Martin. But most of his time, in office, he was working with Stephen Harper, who was both interested in Latin America, but maybe not always the most, being a man of the conservative party, not all that engaged. But then you look at a center-left leader like Justin Trudeau, and you look at the Brazil agenda, and when they speak, they talk about uh, Trudeau wants Brazil to do more in Ukraine. And he they talked about Haiti. But this issue of environment and energy, where you have two countries with lots of forests that are really important and energy resources that they want to develop, could be having common cause more than it seems like they have. And with Brazil hosting the G20 coming up, where Canada will be at the table, is there room to sort of, I don't want to say it's all about Canada, but but is there a way to get Canada more in the game? And do you think Canada is doing what's expected or that maybe Canada needs to step up its game and see Brazil as a more 
uh, a partner worthy of a deeper engagement, I guess. That's a leading question, but I'm curious what you think. Chris, we'd be disappointed if you didn't make it about Canada. That's, that's what you're here for. Bruno, you want to respond to Chris's question? Yeah, well, thank you for, for your question, Chris. I think, um, so one thing about the Amazon, and I think that the way that President Lula has stated several times is that, okay, cooperation of in terms of financing from outside the region is important, but he has stated over and over the, his expectation that c- the countries making up these biomes should lead in a very sovereign manner the initiatives to care for for the forest. So that's a statement that we've been hearing a lot, which um, also another thing is, I think that the expectation of like bringing investments from um, the US, from Canada, having support from the European Union, uh, all those international uh, pockets that could help through the Amazon Fund and other channels are always um, of interest to Brazil. There is a matter of, uh, of course, then you touched on Ukraine and other uh, issues that are, I see that are different expectations and different uh, perspectives on what should or should not be um, Brazil's position on that front. And that's something we've been looking at and interpreting. And the more I look and the more I talk to people here in Brasilia, especially, and listen to different ministers is that uh, Brazil is very is definitely hedging bets, as I always say, is like managing carefully in a way that uh, they see within the Brazilian government today. They see the international order as uncertain, and the more they diversify their partners, the better. So that's their um, their take, their uh, vision. And uh, I think we've seen that in different moments, in even like with different um, statements. Sometimes the tactics to to announce that strategy or the rhetoric or the way that things are uh, interpreted or communicated are often misguided. But I think that that's the the main like um, direction that they are they are giving um, here from. Palácio de Tamarachi, the foreign affairs ministers, and the, the president. So, yeah, I hope that answers partially your question. Bruno, the, the, could you comment on the unique position Brazil has in terms of the Amazon and deforestation in the sense that, you know, uh, Andrew mentioned that Mexico is far away, Canada's far away, right? Everyone, but people view the Amazon around the globe as almost a global resource, even though 60% of it is sitting within one country. How does Brazil manage that? Those expectations globally that they have a unique, a unique role, a unique responsibility to, to maintain this precious resource. And yet it's in their borders. It belongs to them. Yeah, but at the same time, it's uh, it brings to Brazil a lot of pressure in terms of uh, developing the region in while protecting the Amazon. And by that, I mean, just to give you one data point that for me is very, like, says a lot, um, the average uh, coverage for sewage treatment in the south and southwest and east of Brazil is roughly 90 percent, 95 percent. When you look at the north, north states and northeast states, it drops to 30. 
So that's one example of the lack of infrastructure in the region. Another uh, problem, but much basic, when you look at, for example, the challenge they had with hotels, availability of hotels for the summit right now, a few, uh, few weeks ago in Belém, they could barely like, people could barely like book hotels because the availability of uh, logistics and hotels and everything for a summit such as COP is like limited. So the region is really, really needs a different model of development. Of, uh, and that's what I think is, is one at the same time, no, no one else can do that. It's not Brazil and developing like a clear uh, strategy to, for the bioeconomy, low carbon economy that brings scale to the industries that are now uh, present in the Amazon that are working, but at the, that are working, but at the same time can compete with the illegal uh, activities that still make part of the, the the employment for the population in the region. So um, I think that the, the main uh, the main aspect in, in pressure for Brazil is obviously not only its protagonism, the fact that it it, it uh, anything that Brazil does for the Amazon will be a leading um, message and a leading uh, statement, but also the fact that Brazil needs to by to protect the Amazon, it needs to address some of the problems that we have been postponing. One of them is obviously the access to infrastructure in the region. Benjamin, uh, you know, Bruna talked about the changing political landscape and how maybe some assumptions Lula had about who's with him, who's against him were, were not up to date. Uh, we've certainly discussed that a lot on this program, right? The changing uh, political winds, not just in the region, but globally. Could you, could you comment when you look around the, the, the whole region, the whole continent, uh, who are the most likely simpatico leaders and countries that could find themselves in, in a closer working relationship with Brazil? Yeah, when it comes to environmental issues in the Americas, fortunately, given the pendular politics of the region, it really isn't about politics, um, as you might think of it, which is to say these aren't partisan issues, neither the responses to the climate crisis, neither deforestation. Now, that said, some of the consensus there is in the region is not particularly helpful. When it comes to oil exploration, as we've talked about in the case of Lula and Brazil, there's mostly a consensus to continue pumping oil and exporting oil as much as the market will bear, even though the region itself relies on renewables for, I think it's 25% of energy use, more than double the global average, but is very content to be using its oil and gas resources for economic growth. So when I say there's a lot of agreement in the region, I don't always mean the agreement is on conservation and, and progressive environmental policy, but I don't think it's particularly a part an issue. Um, and I don't think it relies upon close personal or ideological affinities when it comes to cooperating with Brazil. But I will say deforestation is an area that matters most, in part because, as I said, the region has such great potential already and adoption of renewable energy that where its emissions come from largely are deforestation. And so that's why Lula's I think example is so compelling and his continued efforts to build a coalition within the region to stop deforestation, not only, by the way, in the Amazon, but in places like Argentina as well, where it's a serious problem contributing to climate change. Thanks, Benjamin. Andrew. Thanks, John. I, I kind of wanted to go back to what Bruno was saying about lack of infrastructure in Belen and, and the challenges um, which I think is a, another topic that, that we talk about a lot, um, whatever the, the main focus of our conversation is. Um, one of the purposes of, of Tranmaya, of the new tourist train 
that Lopez Obrador is building in Yucatan is similar to what Bruno was talking about. It's an effort to create infrastructure, create jobs, attract and promote tourism investment, all to, to give people work, to give people opportunities. And I think what you see in, in what, what Bruno was talking about and, and what I just mentioned is just this constant challenge of governments to demonstrate that they can deliver value. And if you don't see that, then I think you wind up with the populism that we talk about a lot on, on this broadcast. So it just struck me that even though I had said that in many ways the trend Maya was counter to environmental protection, I think it, it raises the, the similar issues of, of trying to figure out how do you use your natural resources productively uh, to generate opportunity for your people. Uh, about this notion of uh, delivering value. Right. Uh, Bruna, the people expecting that value are the citizens, the voters. What is the popular sentiment in Brazil as it relates to the issues we've been talking about today? Are are they willing to make some sacrifices to uh, end deforestation by 2030 or whatever the goal might be? Oh, I think there is now as well as like it took us 30 years to create consensus around the tax reform. And I think now we also like reached a reasonable consensus around deforestation. Um, but, uh, I think that one of the things, um, is important to mention, and you said it, uh, very well about the lack of like perception of the capacity of the democratic governments in Brazil to deliver value is one of the reasons why people are still, uh, with an understanding that they, they could see more value being delivered through infrastructure to like projects that are interventions in the real world during the military dictatorship. That's one perception that you see very often in, in the Brazil, throughout the Brazil uh, population when you were pulling them. And that's one of the, the challenges I think both Brazil, the U.S. have, which is proving the world that democracies can deliver things, can intervene in the world like in, in physical terms. And obviously it boils down to uh, some of the, the complications that we have because of the regulatory frameworks that we created uh, in Brazil that are now um, sometimes uh, delaying our capability to build things faster. And that comes, for example, when you look at uh, green hydrogen or when you look at new infrastructure for uh, offshore wind or even like carbon markets, those are all things that we need, we need to, to design new regulations. We need to regulate those new markets while at the same time simplifying some of our regulatory models to enable the construction of uh, the necessary infrastructure in that the country still lacks. So it's a, it's a, sometimes a double-edged sword to work with, sometimes a very tricky uh, compromise that you need to to find between different sectors, especially the agriculture sector that relies on um, on robust uh, infrastructure from the countryside to the ports and so forth. But also you need to create a, an environment that attracts the necessary investments to the region. One of the things I heard here in Brasilia that made me very um Happy is the fact that uh, at the minute at the at different levels of government they are prioritizing what they are calling power sharing, which um, which be, means uh, creating uh, areas, specific areas around in the north and northeast part of the country where they can bring uh, industries that are that need a lot of energy 
to to produce um, to produce their uh, supplies and also that can be more efficient due to more com- competitiveness of these regions. This is a, a concept that they are looking at as a form as a, a driver to their strategy for now industrialization of the country to bring back some industries to those regions that could have like important benefits if it's aligned with new regulatory frameworks for, as I said, for uh, carbon markets, for uh, offshore wind, green hydrogen. There are new markets that need to be regulated in the country. Thanks, Bruno. We're, we're tight on time. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll go around the horn one more time, get a, a, some final thoughts and comments from each of you. And Bruno, circle back to you and give you the final word. Uh, let's go back to Benjamin. I'm glad we're talking about sort of all these sustainable industries. I think it's important because I think we have to recognize that on occasion, environmental protection will involve some economic sacrifice. We just saw a remarkable referendum in Ecuador where 60% of voters decided to pull the plug on oil drilling in a part of the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador that represented something like 15% of the country's oil production. So it was a significant sacrifice for a country that's really struggling. The response from the international community needs to be very ambitious in terms of supporting alternative industries. The same thing in Colombia, where a new president about a year ago came into office and wanted to end all oil exploration. And this is a country that depends heavily on the hydrocarbon industry for exports. I think for those kind of decisions to be sustainable politically, not just environmentally, the international community really needs to step up and show that there are alternative economic drivers. And that also absolutely includes the northeast of Brazil, as Bruna has been describing. Thanks, Benjamin. Andrew. Yeah, I think what what Benjamin was saying is is a good point, right? That that to some extent, if 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 we if if the world, those of us not in in the Amazon, just kind of assume that, well, you know, Brazil and the the Amazon Basin country should fix this because it's good for all of us. That that's not realistic, right? I think we we all have a responsibility, governments and people, to as Benjamin was suggesting, to to find ways to create alternatives so that you know, a, a country is not faced with the choices that he just described. Do we sacrifice economic growth or do we protect the environment when, of course, the Amazon, you know, it's the lungs of the world. It, it's good for all of us. I, I think it's a, a really good point uh, for us to keep in mind. Thank you, Andrew. Chris? Um, yeah, it, it's funny how when you dive deeply into a country, you see some things you uh, you think are a bit familiar from what you've seen elsewhere. Uh, Canada, like the United States, lots of political polarization, lots of division, uh, a little bit of an economic headwind now as we worry about whether there is going to be a global downturn. And historically, we've really become very, I don't want to say selfish, but focused on our own basic needs when the economy turns sour. And the argument that we've been making about tackling environmental challenges has been based on, you know, relative prosperity and relative good times and that, that makes it easier to say affirmatively, we would like to have a cleaner planet. What I worry about is this sense that if we have a downturn and we have a lot of political polarization in so many countries, will it be possible to build majorities to move forward? Or will we all hunker down and play a politics of least uh, resistance, just going for the easy things, uh, trying to hold the country together, but not have the, the capacity or the leadership to really do the things that might need to be done. And Bruna is the best uh, person I know on Brazil, but I will say on, on the Canada side, I think it's a real worry. And I think there are other parts of the hemisphere that have that same problem. 
Bruna, thank you for carrying the the major load today. And for doing that, we're going to give you more to do and give you the final word. Thank you, John. No, it was a pleasure. And um, well, I think that, yeah, one one note, one positive note that I want to share with everyone is uh, the conversations, all the the, the information that uh, I've been collecting for 18, eight months on Brazil's new government and their environmental policy is extremely positive compared to what we mapped for the past four years. So that's a positive note that I want to end this. Also, uh, the, the, for the first time, I I went in a conversation with the minister at the Ministry of Finance with advisors, and they told me all about how the green transition is a priority for them. At the same, the same happened in the Ministry of Industry. So you see that sustainability, that the Amazon, that green. Um, the, the green financing, those are priorities that are being uh, unfolded across the government, not only the environmental uh, ministries like looking at it. Of course, there's the cost of coordination, but that's always uh, an issue for a huge country like Brazil. But it's very important to see that the priority is there. So we should recognize that and applaud that and, um, and obviously be optimistic, rationally optimistic about it. Uh, when we talk, uh, I, I just want to say, like, when we talk about, oh, obviously, like the future of the Amazon, the first station and so forth, it's really important that we take into consideration two things. One is foreign aid. It's very, really rare to see foreign aid helping a country to build state capacity, to enforce environmental law, to uh build the necessary statecraft to uh, to work on those matters. So that's one of the things I've discussed in the past with Marina Silva and I think at, in Washington, and she said that, how can I turn your dollar into gas for the people that are going to enforce the, the environmental law in the middle of nowhere in the Amazon region? So that's one of the things that Brazil is being uh, struggling with, which is the lack of capacity of the executive branch to deliver those uh, enforcement uh, policies to enforcement measures and also in very often to deliver public policies itself. So that's one of the one of the, I think the, the the questions of the century for Brazil is how we are going to design a more agile governance model to deliver those things, considering that we we don't have a horizon of a um, lot of lots of money flowing into government to have more and more employees and so forth. So what are the, the institutional designs that we are going to come up with to get it done? And second is uh, just a final note uh, about the summit. I think there were like minor uh, events, but I think that the, the, the recognition by all neighboring uh, countries that they... They cannot continue to destroy the forest and that the illegal uh, activities should be addressed by the police, by police force. I think was they were important achievements that came out of it. Great. Well, thank you, uh, Bruna, Andrew, Benjamin, Chris. As a Hockey Hall of Famer, big, uh, the big whistle, Bill Chadwick used to always say, knowing you is like going to college, uh, educational. And I didn't even have to pay tuition. So thanks to all of you. We look forward to learning more from you in future episodes of the program. This episode of America's 360 was produced by Oscar Cruz, Xavi Delgado, and Aldrin Balaceros. For more episodes of this podcast and others, visit us at wilsoncenter.org. You'll find a wealth of information on vital topics from around the region of the world. So we'll see you soon with another episode of America's 360. Until then, for all of us at the Wilson Center, I'm John Molesky. Thanks for your time and interest. 
You have been listening to America's 360, a podcast about the innumerable ties among the nations of the Western Hemisphere. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To learn more about our programs, please visit wilsoncenter.org. And please join us again next time for another episode of America's 360.